0: Kroger, fresh for everyone. I have tried to record this like five times, so let's see if it finally works. Welcome back to the Great Unsolved Podcast. I'm your host, Alexis, and this week we are talking about the disappearance and possible death of Ben McDaniel. Before we get into it, make sure to follow us at Great Unsolved on Twitter, at Great Unsolved Pod on Instagram, join our Facebook group, and like our Facebook page, both of which can be done by searching Great Unsolved on Facebook. We also have a Patreon where there are tons of Patreon only episodes a monthly bonus episode, you get early and ad-free access to all of these public episodes, and more. Also, if you have the time, be sure to rate us five stars on Apple, Spotify, whatever you're listening to us on. It really helps us show up in searches more often. So let's jump into the case of Ben McDaniel. Ben disappeared on August 18th of 2010 in Vortex Springs, Florida. He was 30 years old when he went missing, so he would be 42 today if he was still alive. Ben was born in Memphis, Tennessee on April 15th of 1980. Around 15 years old, he discovered he loved scuba diving, so he just kept doing it. He was a certified open water diver which is the most basic level of certification from what I can find, basically means there's nothing restricting you. You can see the top of the water and the sky, and it's just easy to swim up and kind of breach the water. He was moving towards becoming a certified cave diver, which means there were more restrictions in movement You would often have to take off your equipment to push it through small areas before you swam through, and you would need specific equipment to do this. He was self-taught. I believe for the certification, you have to do a test or something like that, I would assume, but he was self-taught. He did a lot of reading rather than going to courses and learning from professional divers. This is obviously one way to learn how to scuba dive, but I mean, you're underwater and you only have so much air, so it kind of seems risky not to actually experience things with a seasoned diver in order to go on dives on your own, but that's what he did. He was pretty much self-taught. In the four months leading up to his disappearance, he logged 250 dives. This means that he was diving two to three different dives a day, if his book is correct. Often, this takes scuba divers years to complete 250 dives, but apparently Ben did it in just four months, which astounds a lot of people in the diving community. In April of 2010, just four months before his disappearance, he moved into his parents' vacation home in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. He had recently gotten divorced, his construction business failed, he was 50000 in debt for taxes, and supposedly about half a million in debt altogether, and in 2008 his younger brother had died. They were very close, so this affected him greatly. Things in his life were just kind of exploding, falling apart, and he needed some time away to think things over and get back to who he normally was. Because of him living in his parents' vacation home in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida, he regularly dove in Vortex Springs because it was not that far away, and it was a really renowned diving spot, so it worked out great for him. In early August of 2010, the same month he disappeared, he told his parents he was working on getting a diver instructor certification so that he could start a diving business and either take people on dives or teach other people how to dive, something like that. So let's get into the disappearance. On August 18th of 2010, Ben had done two earlier dives. It is said he was probably at Vortex Springs pretty much all day, and at 7.30pm he was going for his last dive. Vortex Springs was said to close around 6pm, but if you purchased a certain pass, you could stay and dive later, so it's assumed that this is what Ben did. Around 6.30pm before his last dive, he called his mom, but it went to voicemail. However, he left a voicemail sounding super excited about this last dive, so everything seemed okay in Ben's life at this point. A lot of people said, well, at least the people who were at Vortex Springs that day, the workers and such, said that Ben spent a lot of time testing his equipment in between his three dives that day. Other than that, he just refilled his tanks and took a few breaks. I don't know if it's normal to test your equipment so thoroughly every time you dive, or if he was preparing for something, or if his equipment had been acting up. It's not really clear, but it is noted he spent a lot of time testing his equipment the day he disappeared. So when he went in the water for his last dive of the day at 7 30 p.m., he ran into two other divers. These two divers were employees at the scuba shop on Vortex Springs, and they had closed the shop for the day, so they went for a dive. It is said they passed each other at the gate, into the more dangerous parts of the cave. So before we get into more of the disappearance, let's talk about this cave a little more and the gate I'm talking about, because it kind of seems odd that there's a gate underwater in a cave. This gate was about 300 feet into the cave, which was about 115 feet below the water's surface. The state had actually contemplated closing this cave to diving because of how treacherous it was. In just the 1990s, the cave had 13 deaths. It's unclear if these were all deaths of people who were not qualified to be in the cave, not qualified to be diving, or if it was experienced divers. I'm going to assume it was a little bit of both. Either way, 13 divers died in that cave in just 10 years. At the entrance to the cave, which is not where the gate is, I believe the entrance to the cave is at about 58 feet below the water's surface. And even if you are not a cave diver, you can dive through part of the cave without going through the gate. So at the entrance to the cave, there is a sign and it's pretty grim. It has a grim reaper surrounded by deceased skeletonized divers, and it says this. Quote, stop. Prevent your death. Go no further. Fact. More than 300 divers, including open water scuba instructors, have died in caves just like this one. Fact. You needed training to dive. You need cave training and cave equipment to cave dive. Fact. Without cave training and cave equipment, divers can die here fact, it can happen to you. There's nothing in this cave worth dying for. Do not go beyond this point. End quote. So like I said, after this, you can swim a little bit into the cave or dive a little bit into the cave, but eventually 300 feet in, you hit a gate. This gate was supposed to be always locked, and you could only get the key from the dive shop if you gave them your cave Certification, your cave diving certification. Then you would get the key. You could dive down, unlock it, do your dive. When you came back out, you would lock it and bring the key back in order to get your certification card or paper back. So around 730, Ben passes these two employees diving. They're coming out of the cave, and Ben keeps going towards the cave. Well, towards the gate. After these two employees surfaced, one went back down to let Ben pass the gate. He wasn't supposed to because Ben did not have his cave diving certification, but he felt it was the safer option. He thought that if Ben was trying to get into the cave and started messing with the gate, he would get stuck and then nobody would be there to help him and he would drown. These employees also knew Ben very well because he often dove at Vortex Springs. They saw that Ben did use side-mounted tanks, had a helmet on, and used proper lighting, so they figured he would be okay doing the cave dive even though he wasn't certified. The employees would later say that they believe Ben had planned this dive into the cave past the gate for some time, and that he had messed with the gate prior to the day of his disappearance. Probably because he figured he would not be let into the gate because he was not certified, so he would have to make his own way past the gate. Once the gate was open for Ben, employees left to get coffee because they were done for the day, and that is the last time anyone was confirmed to see Ben McDaniel. Two days later, on August 20th of 2010, one employee arrived back to Vortex Springs, one of the employees that had let him in past the gate that night. And they were worried to find that Ben's truck was parked exactly how it had been two days earlier. So this employee started asking around to see if anyone had seen Ben in the last two days And when he found out that no one had, he called the police. The police immediately contacted Ben's family and got a dive team together to go into the cave and get his body. They were ultimately looking for a body at this point, as if Ben was still down there, he did not have enough air with him to survive these two days. It is also said that at some point they brought in cadaver dogs and these dogs alerted to the spring. Police also found the truck locked and his wallet ID and phone were inside. In his wallet was $1,100 cash and there was no sign of foul play anywhere. Ben's beloved dog Spooner was found at his parents' vacation home where him and his dog were staying. It was obvious that Ben had not been there in the past two days, but Spooner was alright. At this home, Ben's maps and notes about Vortex Springs' cave was also found, and it was noted that the maps were incorrect. There was also a binder of temporary certification cards found at his house. These were from different scuba diving classes that he never finished. So that's kind of worrisome, maybe he had been using these temporary certification cards to get into places he wasn't supposed to, and that obviously could have put him in great danger. Before we jump into the search, let's talk even more about the cave. So at Vortex Springs, people were able to swim, snorkel, paddleboard, kayak, and obviously scuba dive. There was a different area for the swimming and paddleboarding and all of that, and the scuba diving spot was further away. If you were diving, you would go into a bowl-shaped basin that was about 250 feet wide. Those certified for open water diving could go up to 50 feet deep, and there was tons of fish in Vortex Springs. It's actually said they were pretty friendly, and divers often took food to hand feed the fish in the spring. There were some smaller man-made caves, large boulders, outcroppings, and two underwater training platforms for those who were diving there. So there was a lot to do, and this is why it was such a big place to scuba dive in Florida. There was a buoyed nylon rope from the surface down into the beginning of the cave, I believe, to help divers get there faster, because the more air you waste getting down to the cave, the less you can explore it. So you start with the cave mouth that is at 58 feet deep, and this is where the Grim Reaper sign is. Then you go into something called the piano room. This is one of the cave's larger rooms. Sometimes it was even lit with rope lights for the divers who went down there. Right near the piano room, there is a smaller passage, but in 2010, when Ben went missing, it was still full of silt and impassable. It was actually covered by a grate at that time. So eventually, you get to the gate, which is 300 feet in and 115 feet below the water's surface. It is made of welded rebar, and if you look at pictures, it looks pretty haphazardly put together. There's just different bars connected in random spots. The spacing is all over the place, and there's some pretty big spaces that I feel like if you were a very small diver, you could get through. Beyond the gate, there are many restriction spots, which are places that are difficult to squeeze through, and the divers would have to take off their tanks and push them through first. So, Ben was a six foot one guy who weighed 210 to 220 pounds. Just want you to have that information for when we talk about the small spaces he had to go through. In 2010, the cave only had one passage, meaning one way in and one way out, and I believe it is still like that today. So after the gate is the first restriction. It is four to five feet wide and three feet tall. Pretty much anyone can easily fit through that. Then you hit a place called No Way, which is a dead end. However, if you keep going, there is the second restriction, which has just enough room for the diver and their equipment. It is called the back mount squeeze. This is said to be because you kind of had to shimmy through it on your back. Then you go through the T room into the max headroom, which is a vertical opening where you can kind of yourself upright again which is why it's called the max headroom. Then you hit the third restriction called the champagne bottleneck. This is a long skinny passage and divers have to push their equipment through first. They also have to work against the current here which makes going through it even more difficult. Then you hit the pocket room which is four feet wide and three feet tall. Then you go to the fourth restriction, which starts at 12 inches tall and three feet wide. It then shrinks to 10 inches tall and two and a half feet wide. Then it finally goes to two feet wide and only eight inches tall. Then you hit the trash room, which can comfortably fit two divers. And from there you hit the end of the line. This is a tiny vertical crack and even a tiny diver would have extreme difficulty getting in. Plus, if you go past this, there is no larger room, so you would have to back up all the way out. The maps I looked at really don't show any offshoots of the cave. That'll come into play when we talk about the search. So it's kind of unclear what happened with the police dive teams, but the police eventually contacted Jeff Laughlin, who is an extremely qualified diver. They asked him to come and search, and he ended up finding more people, actually eight people, that could help him dive and search. These nine people formed three different teams, one of three people, one of four people, one of two people. So when one team came back up, the other one would go down and begin searching and so on the very first thing to be found were three stage tanks. Stage tanks are said to be extra air tanks that divers take when doing a long dive. They had Ben's name on them, and they were placed at the cave entrance, which many divers thought was odd. If you have stage tanks, you normally place them like breadcrumbs so that you can come back and get one quickly if you're running out of air. If Ben was planning to do a dive into the deep depths of the cave, he would not leave them at the cave entrance, which is even 300 feet from the gate itself. It was also found that the tanks only had air, but for a dive like this, you would need an air-gas mix. On August 22nd, Ed Sorensen was called in. He was a veteran cave diver and a recovery specialist. Ed went in to search with an underwater scooter. This gave him more time because it let him get into the cave faster rather than taking time to swim down there and get to the gate. At the time, Ed went deeper than almost anyone had. He went 1,700 feet into the cave to the end of the line, which actually wasn't on the map in 2010. When he came back up, he said there was absolutely no way Ben would have made it that far with his lack of experience. He also said he found no marks on the walls or in the silt to suggest that someone had been back there recently. Obviously, this was four days later, but he felt there would have been something. There was also no sense of decomposition in the water. As gross as it is, apparently divers can kind of taste it in the water, and he said that was not there. There was also no fish in the cave that would have been there to feed on a decomposing body. He thought that if someone did try to go into the end of the line, that really small crack at the end of the cave, they would never be able to get out. However, Ben's family was still adamant that he was deeper in the cave than anyone would go. But after finding really no evidence at all that Ben was in the cave, divers stopped searching. Ben's parents got the police department to use their ROV to look into the cave after offering to pay the $54,000 if it got lost or damaged. However, this gave them no more information than the divers did. Eventually, Steve Keen, the man who originally surveyed the cave in 2003, came to do a search for the family. He ended up doing seven dives to the furthest parts of the cave and didn't find anything. He said, quote, if he's down there, I don't know where he'd be, end quote. However, the family still thought Ben was in the cave, so they put out a $10,000 reward for anyone who went in to find Ben. The diving community was really mad about this. They thought it would make unqualified people go in there, get hurt, maybe get killed. And they were kind of insulted that they went in and the family just didn't believe them, even though they had so much expertise. When no one took them up on this $10,000 offer, they raised it to 30000 During the time this reward was out, an unqualified diver went into the cave and died. It's unclear if they were going after the offer or they were just going in there for another reason. Jill Heinerth, one of the best female cave divers in the world, offered to do the dive and film it for the family if they got rid of the reward. They took her up on it. So her and her husband, her ex-husband, sorry, did the dive and found a folded up shovel thought to be Ben's in the trash room. This turned out to be Steve Keens from 2003, so what seemed to be like a good lead at first turned out to be nothing. There was 30 separate tests done for decomposition in the water, and they came back negative, suggesting Ben was not down there. Ben's family finally began to think that he was not in the water at all, but that he was murdered and the disappearance was used to cover it up. It's noted that many of the employees at Vortex Springs had criminal records, including the owner. So here's a recap of the evidence that Ben is not in the water. Recovery divers found nothing besides suspiciously placed air tanks. There was no signs of fish feeding on a decomposing body. Since divers can essentially taste decomposition, they were sure that if there was decomposition, they would taste it and they did not. The tests for decomposition chemicals in the water came back negative. So let's go over some theories. Number one is that he's still in the cave and he accidentally died. This could have been because of diver panic. If a diver knows they're low on air and are going to drown or they are lost, they will start thrashing about, which can bring up the silt and essentially make them go blind. Divers can often wedge themselves into tight places where someone normally wouldn't fit, which is one reason why his family might have been thinking he was further in the cave than anyone thought. So they think he got to the end of the line, realized he didn't have enough air to get out, panicked, and pushed himself further than someone could normally go. This would then result in him drowning and his body probably being trapped. But you would think the equipment would be found at some point, and none was. There was also no evidence of decomposition in the water. This one goes with the same idea that Ben accidentally died in the cave. Maybe it was a cover-up. The owner, Kelly, admitted to being there late the night that Ben disappeared. So maybe him or an employee noticed that Ben never came out, found him dead in the cave, his body out, and buried him in the swamp nearby or somewhere else. Another death would be bad publicity, so maybe they didn't want that to happen. However, why would they cover up this one and not cover up the death after it, or any of the deaths before it? Then there is obviously the theory of foul play. Maybe Ben made it out of the cave that night, and met someone who grabbed him with his gear still on, killed him, and put him somewhere else. Or maybe another diver went into the cave that night, found Ben, killed him either in the water or out of the water, and hid his body. However, we have no idea who this person would be. There's no evidence of a struggle in or around the water, and there would really be no motive for someone to kill Ben. Another theory is suicide. He would still be in the cave. Maybe he put on a front that he was okay, but he was spiraling because of the debt, marriage, anything else, and he wanted to end his life. He could have purposely went into the cave without enough air, or put himself in a spot that he knew he would not be able to come back out of, and then he drowned. However, nothing has ever been found, there's obviously no decomposition in the water, There's no real offshoots of the cave where he could have done this, and why commit suicide by drowning? That doesn't seem like a great way. It just seems like there would be easier ways, so I don't know. And then we have one that a lot of people believe happened. He voluntarily disappeared. Maybe he left his life because he needed change. He had too much debt, or his past caught up to him too much, or his brother's death was affecting him too much, and he just left. Maybe he went diving late so that no one would see him come out of the water and leave his life. However, we don't really know a motive for him doing this, and he left his beloved dog. His life was getting better. How would he have left? His truck was still there, and no one's come forward to say they gave Ben a ride that night. And why leave the over one grand in your wallet? That could greatly help you if you are starting over with no money, no job, nowhere to live. Just doesn't seem to make sense. I tend to lean towards he is either still in the cave because he died of an accident or that he voluntarily left. Voluntarily leaving doesn't make a ton of sense, but it makes sense why he is not in the water, why he hasn't been found. Things like that. That's all I have for the case of Ben McDaniel. Thank you for going over it with me. Before we leave, remember to follow us at Great Unsolved on Twitter, at Great Unsolved Pod on Instagram, join our Facebook group and like our Facebook page, and join our Patreon if that's something you would like to do. All the links are in the description of this episode, just like they are with every episode, and be sure to give us a 5-star rating wherever you're listening to us if you have the time. Be safe and have a great rest of your week.